Welcome everyone to Pro Wrestling Audio with Jack Bonza. I'm your co-host Joel Brown and the man of the hour, it is the leader of the Red Nation, Jack Bonza. Hello and welcome. Hi Joel. Hi, virtual. Hi. Yeah, it's uh, interesting times. Uh, one, uh, they've let us come back uh, to do a second episode, uh, part two of the incarnation of PWA Black Label. Yeah, usually we're in a studio recording this together, but interesting times at the moment. Yeah, just because of all the you know the coronavirus that's happening, uh, all, the, all the social distancing and stuff at this point, we thought it would be smarter just to do it over, over Skype. So the audio quality might not be as good on this one as it is on the last one, but you'll have to forgive us for that because we're trying to be we're trying to be sensible. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, usually where we record as well, there's been some uh, strict, um, I guess you could say, strict rules about bringing certain personnel in. So hence, yeah, why we are uh, the virtual uh, Skype chatting for this episode, part two of incarnation of PWA Black Label, but. Let's go back. Uh, we did release uh, part one uh, a week or so ago. Um, great reviews so far that I've been seeing on Twitter and the likes of Facebook. What about yourself? Yeah, everyone seemed very positive about it, which was really nice to hear, especially when you talk about something like that. And like I said at the beginning of the last one, I'll say at the beginning of this one again, this is all the stuff that just happened from my perspective. So, you know, I had a couple of people, I had Robbie Eagles contact me and tell me I was wrong <laughs> on a couple of the facts that I released and stuff, but all, all very all very positive. But again, this is just how I remember it for the most part. So <laughs> it was all very positive, but we'll see how we go uh, with the second episode. And I guess uh, breaking the fourth wall of uh, recording podcast, uh, we actually had this second episode in the can ready to go and released to the punters to listen to, but... Uh, after re-listening to it, uh, giving this uh, pandemic, uh, COVID-19, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, it uh, really threw a monkey wrench uh, in the mix because basically it was in the can. This was this episode was ready to, to be released, but obviously a few things have affected uh, what PWA and I guess a lot of uh, in the entertainment industry, a lot of, I mean, just work in general, uh, what we can and can't do because uh, obviously the big one being PWA sponsoring the West Tigers. Yeah, it was incredible that the first season the NRL doesn't run in just about 100 years happens the first time we try to take a major step uh, towards advertising with them. Uh, it was just like one of those things where that was such a huge commitment. It would have been such a huge step for PWA, and it featured quite heavily uh, in the last episode. And it just, like, I think we just, we kind of got together and we just felt like trying to, like, the the whole point of wrestling a lot of the time is to forget about what's happening for a little while um, in, in the outside world. And that's what we'll do when we start talking about the history and stuff. We won't talk about it too deeply, but it just seemed like almost silly to try and ignore that it was a thing and then have. 15 minutes of the podcast devoted to what we're going to do in 2020 with PWA and all the stuff that can't possibly happen now. It just seemed like maybe that was a little bit ridiculous. So now we're uh, re-recording. Plenty of meat still on the bone um, to talk about with the incarnation of PWA, Black Label, uh, the rise of Wahlberg, uh, Coliseum 2, uh, going to two nights, all eyes on Troy. I mean, uh, so much here to talk about. But before we do, make sure to hit us up on the socials that you can find Jack Bonza at Jack Bonza. That's on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, I believe. Yep, same on everything. And if you want to uh, give this podcast a rate a review and a subscribe we are on itunes we're on spotify and google podcast check us out there uh, we really 
appreciate you guys listening to the show. Give us any type of feedback because uh, we we are going to be eventually uh, looking for sort of questions from the punters uh, to ask sponsor and things along those lines. Uh, and I guess any feedback is good feedback. Yeah, just different topics we can talk about, different stuff. I mean, we have this idea for the initial one just to get a, um, just to get it launched. But I mean, it's going to be a bit of an unusual podcast. I think it's going to be less based around interviews and more based around topics and stuff that's happened so anything you guys want to want to hear just let us know we'd be happy to to integrate it and i guess more directly uh, if you want to support uh, jack bonza you can check out his website on wrestler merch yep go to wrestlermerch.com uh i don't think it has dot au <laughs> you can find it on uh you can find it on instagram and and uh facebook and, and twitter and all that kind of stuff but all, a lot of the australian wrestlers since the last time we spoke a lot of new australian wrestlers have signed up too like i think uh like Damien Slater and um and like Adam Brooks and and a few people like that have uh, signed up. So it's not just New South Wales people anymore. It's uh there's a lot more Australia wide. So yeah, definitely worth checking out that website. Absolutely, that's a wrestler merch. That's I guess especially uh, uh with what we're experiencing at the moment. Uh, the best way to uh, support local wrestling and wrestlers is uh, buying a t-shirt and representing them. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get straight into it. Part two of our uh, two-part uh, episodes here on Pro Wrestling Audio with Jack Bonza. It is the incarnation of PWA Black Label. And Diego, uh, you wanted to have a special part on this episode. I mean, not only to talk about the importance of the likes of a Diego, but the importance of all the uh, players that are helping out to make PWA possible. We when, when we found out Diego was leaving, uh, that was probably the biggest blow that PWA suffered um, during that period of time. Uh, I strongly believe the announcer is such an important part of any wrestling event. If you've got a bad announcer, it's just engaging the audience in that, um, like in every, in between every match and all that stuff, it just, it it really, it really struggles. But Diego was something special um, from day one. Like he was a wrestler. So I think he really understood how to interact with the audience a lot. And he's such just a, He's just such a cool guy. He's just such a nice guy. Like he, he wasn't putting on an act when he was in front of the audience. That was that's who he was. He's just this just this really nice, charismatic dude. Like he, he unfortunately left to go to Canada uh, to pursue acting, uh, which is great for him. Um, I think if he were an athlete of some kind, I probably would have attempted to cripple him to make to destroy <laughs> his dreams and make sure he couldn't go. Uh, he was such an important part of PWA because um, like when we're talking about. Um, when we're talking about part of what I think makes PWA so special is it's, it's the audience and it's the atmosphere. And the whole thing about PWA's audience and atmosphere is that it's totally inclusive. Um, everybody is welcome to be there. You see a lot of companies like Progress's whole thing, don't be a dick. But again, you look at Progress, look how important their announcer is. Um, he's such an important part of their event because he's a comedian for a living, you know, stuff like that really makes a difference to those events. But and then you see companies now doing stuff like they'll put a little warning, this is our code of conduct at the beginning, this is our whatever. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't always get enforced. It's more of a, a marketing thing just to cover their asses saying, hey, look, we have a code of conduct you know, to look after their fans. But PWA is never worried about that because um, like stuff would happen is we would, you know, I would sit in on the security meetings and the conversations we would have with security guards would be uh, if anyone's being overly drunk, kick them out if anyone's being disrespectful kick them out especially towards the women like if they start yelling out this and that which happens sometimes at at wrestling shows in the women's matches kick them out 
there's no warnings, there's no excuses, there's no conversations. They're getting kicked out because we don't want them at our wrestling event. Um, and the thing is that that stuff does come up occasionally, um, but it doesn't come up very often because of the culture of our audience. The culture of our audience, you go and sit in that audience, you're, I feel like you're less likely to do those things because everybody's accepting, everybody's so nice. It, it leads you to, to be less like that. And a big part of why that audience culture began in the first place and once the culture's in place it, it, it propagates but the reason why it started that way was because we had diego as the announcer uh, he would always say stuff like everybody's welcome here this is a place you can go to to forget your troubles for a while and do all this stuff and he would just do really sweet things like um we had an, a, a raffle one time and there were two prizes for the raffle and then after the second prize got drawn the crowd chanted for a third prize because they were disappointed. And so Diego, totally on the fly, undiscussed with anyone else, just says, okay, great, we're going to draw a third prize. Whoever's ticket we pick out for this third prize gets a hug from me. And so he drew the raffle ticket, the guy got in the ring, and then they did a big wind-up hug, um, <laughs> which got one of the biggest you know, audience responses you know, that we've got, especially for something not wrestling-related. Um, and just and there are tons of examples of stuff like that that Diego did. Um, and he was just a big, yeah, he was just such a big part of um, what made PWA great, especially in the early stages. You uh, were mentioning there sort of the rise of Wahlberg. I mean, uh, we're going to get make our way to uh, Wahlberg v. Ugg, but obviously there was a lot sort of happening in the background with Wahlberg. Uh, was he someone um, that, I mean, you know, g- give him an inch, he's going to take a mile, and obviously it's paid dividends well, yeah, that was one of those things. Like, um, Wahlberg, uh, Wahlberg started with the Babes, and I'm not going to get too much into it here, but it was funny that I had this this small intro because um, the Babes originally were Harley Wonderland and Rachel Rose in Newcastle Pro, and we thought it would be funny to give them a boy toy. Um, so we were trying to convince somebody <laughs> to be that boy toy, but of course their thing is they're the blonde and blue eye squad. That's what the babes is. You have to be blonde and have blue eyes. And the original concept of the gimmick was they essentially would be racist to anybody with without blonde hair, like not skin tone, but hair tone. We needed somebody with pure blonde hair, and we were trying to we were trying to bully Carter Deems into dyeing his hair blonde so that he could be the boy toy. <laughs> But he didn't want to do it because his girlfriend at times like, oh, I've got this girl. I don't know if she'd let me dye my hair. Like, it was just it was this whole thing. And then we, um, and then one day Wahlberg just shows up. And this is Wahlberg's like he's just been training. We, I don't know his name. Like, um, and he's just shown up with bleach blonde hair. And I'm just going, you, do you want to be in this thing? And he's just going, yeah. Um, and then after that, Carter Deems was disappointed that his opportunity fell through, so he dyed his hair blonde. Um, and then Rachel Rose dropped off, and that's how we ended up with the babes as we currently know. But the, you know, the thing was that um, Wahlberg was there last, but he, you know, he kind of took to it. And now he's the, you know, he's the. If you asked anybody who the leader of the babes was, they'd probably say Wahlberg. The Fridays are for the babes thing. Like again, I go back to we're trying not to take ourselves too seriously. We just had a tournament called the Coliseum tournament. Uh, it was the end of the year and we wanted to do something more fun. So we thought for the first time, like, hey, why don't we name one of the shows after one of the newer wrestlers? Uh, you know, it's one of those things that helps to promote them. What would be a fun one? Oh, you know what would be a really cool black label show? Doing it like a, you know, like a like a college frat party. 
which would be perfect mm. for, the, for the babe. So that's how Fridays for the Babe were born. But the thing that we discovered with that event was we pretty much contacted Warburg and we just said, this is your show. Um, man, like we want you to decorate it like a frat party. We want you to come up with ideas. We want you to do the playlist. We want you to do all that stuff. Now, you know, this, I think there are four shows we've done themed after wrestlers. Uh, this is the one that launched that because Warburg was given what could have he could have made a minimal amount of that opportunity or he could have made the absolute most out of it and he made the absolute most out of it. Um, he's just the guy that like if you give him an opportunity, he will take it by the balls and just and throw it as far as humanly possible. It was the first time we really discovered the drive that he has. And Fridays of the Babes is still it's still remembered now. Like it was it, like um, the, the main event. You know, what was the main event? Like, I remember the main event, but most people probably don't. But it's the theme. It's the theme of the shows. It was just such a fun, cool time. And it was just one of those things. And that, of course, him doing such a great job with that earned him his shot against um, Jimmy Havoc at Diego's last show. And then, um, of course, he was well primed for his match against um, Caveman Ugg. At, at UGG versus Warburg. But before we get there, uh, Coliseum 1, um, I guess you were really big on, um, you know, having a, a tournament or having some form of like a, a spectacle, I guess you could say, <laughs> in Australian wrestling, uh, you know, that's going to, you know, mean something. I mean, it's it's not a number one contendership. It's a title unto itself. And Coliseum 1, it was two nation members taking each other on with Mick Moretti and Jack J. Bonza. Yeah, so I mean, uh, the whole story there was, you know, we had um, uh, me and Mick wrestled Mustache Mountain with Progress. The the big deal with that was that um, I went out there and I got booed like I always do, and Moretti got cheered, and uh, Trent Seven picked up on that. So there was a point where if you watch the match, and that's on this is on their on demand, not on not on. Overplay. Uh, if you go back and watch it, Trent Seven puts him on the top rope and lifts his hand, and and the crowd cheered for Mustache Mountain and Mick Moretti, and they booed me, and that was just the beginning of something where it's like it's like one of those things like where you get crowd reactions if it's like well that's not the reaction that we wanted, that's not the one we designed <laughs> to, so you can kick and scream or you can roll with it, and what we did was we rolled with it, you know, um, there was this whole thing where the only reason that me and Moretti became tag team champions was because um like the whole thing with the nations and the velocities was supposed to be the babes and sms like um i think we're going back to we're going a little bit further back in the timeline but we had the Farley dojo tryout and um after the Farley dojo tryout the guys who got selected were carter deems and uh and snapchat um with tyler payne and so one of them was in sms and one of them was in the babes so one of the tag team champions fucked off and one of the guys was supposed to feud against fucked off because the whole gimmick that we built was that SMS was, was the right to censor. They were telling everybody to stop partying and to stop having fun. And the babes were the ultimate incarnation of having fun and partying and drinking and swearing and dancing with girls and, and doing all the stuff they do during their entrances. So they were natural enemies and it would have been this great feud. But then just as we're at the point where we're building this big fight up, um half the tag team fuck off <laughs> so it was like oh crap what do we what do we do now um and then so the only thing we had was that at the star the nations beat mustache mountain and the velocities won a four-way tag match so we decided you know sms decided to step aside from the belts and put them up on the line in the one contenders match and that's how we ended up with the velocities versus the nations in what you still go back and look at is probably one of the 
best received uh, matches that's happened on PWA Black Label. And part of the reason was that we were just like, oh crap, we, we, we have no build up to this match. We've really got to pull our finger out. But the fun thing was that, again, Mick was getting sheared and I was getting booed. So we decided to roll into this dynamic where um, we became tag team champs. So we had to tag together. But, of course, I'm extremely resentful of the fact that he's getting cheered while I'm getting booed. So it, it plays into this really interesting tag team. where, Because, I mean, logically, if two guys don't like each other, they just won't tag together. But because we were tag team champions, despite the growing resentment, um, and, and it led to some really, it led to some really interesting matches, I think. Um, and then when you, you know, lead when we get to this tournament, and I mean, I think the reason, again, I'm not sure if we discussed it last time, the whole reasoning behind the, the Coliseum tournament in the first place was that we needed time at our new Max Watts regular venue to build up storylines. Um, and the tournament over th- held over three events, not like the two-night tournament like we ended up doing later, um, was to give us something to do while in the background building up period of time. But the Coliseum tournament is happening the entire time that Wahlberg is getting built to Caveman Ugg. Um, you know, that, that, was, that was part of the idea. We were building the velocities for their rematch the whole time, whatever. We had One Direction win number one contenders matches the whole time that me and Nick are competing in this tournament. You know, so we had the, the champions being distracted with something else in this tournament. But also, you know, we started on opposite ends of the tournament. I think that everybody thought it was going to end up being Paris in the final maybe because he'd just done the shooting star DDT and he was really big and it was just this kind of thing but then it ended up being me and Mick and it was like oh of course this is what was going to happen the whole time (laughs) Um, so yeah another interesting side note if we had the people we originally selected for the tournament the tournament would have looked totally different trying to get people locked down for three shows um, at PWA that period of time uh, was was very very difficult so it was it was interesting, um, you know what what might have been for that first tournament, but it all worked out really well. So yeah, where are we up to? We lead to um, we lead all the way up to the fight for for black metal, uh, which was me and Moretti, and we had the sword for the <laughs> prize, <laughs> which was its whole thing. And then uh, we ended up having this you know this really big match that um that I ended up really being proud of and um and put a lot of buzz on on PWA, I think. I guess another thing as well, which is uh, needs to be sort of, I guess, spoken about. Uh, I know New Japan Pro Wrestling back in 2018 uh, did a, uh, I think it was a 2018 tour, uh, a tour which, like, looking back in retrospect, it was quite, it was a massive uh, tour. They had the likes of Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes, Young Bucks, um, and heaps of the uh, New Japan guys come over. And I, what I noticed as a fan at the Sydney show is a lot of the PWA guys were helping with the ring crew uh, and just at the event. Yeah, so, I mean, the thing that happened then was when New Japan came to Australia, um, and this is part of the reason why I have so much love for New Japan as a company, is and and Farley, um, and Farley's son as well, is that they didn't want to just come here and do a tour. They wanted to help out the local companies. They When they came to Sydney, they used PWA. When they went elsewhere, they used um, other companies. I think it was Wrestle Rampage in Adelaide and... Um, and EPW in in Perth. Um, so yeah, when they when they went there, they used all that stuff, um, and then used all our guys for ring crew, and they paid everybody very nicely, and and they did all the stuff, and it was really cool. 
Um, and yeah, and also part of it was that we were doing, like I just mentioned, we we're doing the Farley Dojo tryouts because the other thing that came out of the Farley Dojo tryouts is that the guys who were selected to wrestle on the events largely came from these tryouts, which was of course me, Robbie Eagles, and and Nick Moretti from PWA. And another uh, sort of uh, international tour that uh, helped out a lot, I believe, was the House of Hardcore. Yeah, that was an interesting one. Like, people don't talk about that one much anymore. I think because Tommy Dreamer fucked up and said he put Australia on the map. <laughs> like, I, th- I think he said something like, don't forget who put us on the map originally or something like that. And everyone was like, oh, I guess we did nothing then, like, in Australia. So that was poorly received. So I think in, in his legacy of House of Hardcore might have been ruined by one errant tweet or um, or, or sentence in a promo or something, which which, you know, happens sometimes. But yeah, it was um, how's the hardcore came out a couple of times, man. Like I wrestled for Dusty's belt, man. Like the NWA championship. Like it was um, Nick Aldis. I wrestled him in Queensland. Robbie wrestled him in Sydney. Um, it was one of those things. It was really cool. But that first House of Hardcore show had the Young Bucks on it, and it was the first time that the Young Bucks had come to Australia, despite being super hot. Um, I mean, they still are, but at the time, uh, in New Japan with the Bullet Club and stuff, like that was the real height of their of their power in New Japan. That was the first time that they had come to Australia. So this House of Hardcore event in Sydney drew like 11, 1,200 people. Um, and, of course, I think uh, Madison Eagles wrestled Shazam McKenzie, and I wrestled Robbie Eagles and Andy Phoenix in a in a triple threat match, so it was it was one of those things where um, oh and Cole Cabana wrestled Hunter Hayes, <laughs> uh, he was there as well. So a lot of fans were exposed to PWA wrestlers for the first time, and for some reason, of all the international events that we've been a part of, that's the one that a lot of our fans to this day say this is the first time we saw PWA wrestlers, and then they've come back to every show since. So that was that was actually, in retrospect, a really big turning point for for PWA. It picked up a lot of new uh, fans, and not just fans, but fans who had already seen stuff besides WWE, which is actually a big part of our audience because, uh, you know, we represent an alternative to WWE. We're never going to be able to compete with what it is that they do. So if you just love what WWE does, but you would never like a, a New Japan or a House of Hardcore or something, then you're probably not going to be into what PWA does. But because we we do stuff that WWE won't do, we we swear, you know, we do intergender wrestling. We do some we do some cooler stuff like that. Um, we represent an alternative, and I think that was one of the first times we really tapped into the you know alternative wrestling market. With all that happening in the background, we build up to Wahlberg v. Ugg. And I guess something of noteworthiness to mention here, this is the first time PWA sells out Max Watts. Yeah, that was absolutely a huge moment. When I mean, especially someone like me who's so numbers-driven, uh, seeing the numbers go from our first event there, we sold our souls for Rock and Robbie, which was struggling to you know half-fill the place. And then eventually we get to, we get to Wahlberg versus Ugg that finally... Uh, sold it out. You know, I think there were there were two things at play. Uh, one of them was that we had just had the fight for black metal, and so again, if anybody remembers uh, me and Mixed Match, we won match of the year, and not just that, we had like there was stuff that was pointed out to me later, like a fan pointed out to me, and just like he sent me like six or seven different websites that had included us on match of the year candidates that I was totally unaware of, like because um, I don't I don't really follow a lot of that a lot of that fan stuff because it just sends you nuts i think if you're a pro wrestler seeing all those little things but yeah we that that actually kind of got us a lot of attention which again i'm just 
super grateful and happy for <laughs> with everybody and, and with Mick. But because there was so much buzz in the company, people wanted to come and see what was next, which led into the perfect storm of this epic build that Warburg had come up with uh, from Fridays of the Babe. So we did Coliseum, which he did something on that. He did the storyline with Jax, and then that kind of finished at Fridays of the Babe. So the match itself wasn't this big match, but it was a very powerful story. Like if you actually go back and watch what they did, some of the early promos and stuff like that, it's 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 very good. Like until you get to the point where Jax actually dyes his hair blonde because he's trying to become a part of the Babes, and then the Babes just laugh at him. One of, one of the tropes in wrestling we find, uh, to set the story up a little bit better, the basic storyline was Carter Deems was in New Zealand, um, as we already discussed with the tag team title things. So during that period of time, Jax, who's party boy Jax Jordan, wanted to fill that gap and be part of the babes. So basically we set up a story where Jax is the kid in high school who's maybe not as cool as the cool kids but wants to try and fit in with them. And then Harley and, and, and Wahlberg, of course, represent the cool kids. And they kind of string him along a little bit until one time he comes out there with his ridiculous long hair. And then they're like, mate, we've already told you, you can't be in the babes because you're not blonde. And then he whips out his um, he whips off his hat and he's dyed his hair blonde, like disgustingly dyed his hair blonde. And they just bust out laughing at him. The trope in wrestling, and this is what everybody was kind of thinking what was going to happen, I think, and this was the original, one of the original concepts before we kind of changed it around, was that he would get really pissed and he'd try to attack Wahlberg and he'd do whatever. And then we just kind of went, hold on, how about they laugh at you, they leave, and you just look really sad. <laughs> and he was like, what? And it was one of the first times, I think, in PWA that we, we told a story that resonated with people because I think everybody can understand what it's like to not fit in. And especially when like something like there's a cool group of guys who are all having fun and you want to go and fit in with them and stuff and they lead you along and then they end up just laughing at you. Like, I think that's something that people could really understand and it was really powerful. And that culminated at, at Fridays for the Babes and, and they actually had a fun match. But again, it wasn't the main event. It wasn't the big thing. It was just this really well-told story. And then of course, brought Warburg a little into prominence um, because, of course, the whole event was about him and then he had this really nice angle. And then because of all the energy and drive and all the stuff he'd done so well with leading into Fridays for the Babes, it was decided that he would wrestle Jimmy Havoc, who we had at um, in, in January. And then so he got his main event victory over Jimmy Havoc. Um, I, think we, I think one of the stories we probably told in the second one was about internationals putting us over for the first time as well, which might be worth revisiting. You know, Jimmy Havoc, you know, put him over, and then naturally, that's the that was the week that was the month before that was Diego's last show. That was the month before the fight for black metal, and so of course uh, I can't even remember when he did the fight for black metal. But we announced in January that he would face UG in March, so that gave us like a nice run up too. Which and so you know the whole point of the Coliseum tournament was to give us time to build a really great heavyweight championship match, and that's where we were with Wahlberg. <laughs> So, yeah, we lead into Warburg versus Ugg. What I'm leading to here is, again, the combo between the fight for black metal going so well and this epic build and Warburg putting all this stuff into it and then those promos that he did. Two years ago, I had my first match in PWA against Ugg and I thought I was ready and I had a Bucks weekend on the Gold Coast and I drank for three days and I stayed up all night and I got on a plane and I went straight to the show and Ugg beat the fuck out of me, man. Like, he was the worst. And I felt like a little bitch, 
and I felt like I didn't belong. And it's taken me two years to really, in my heart, feel like I belong in there with him. And I belong in a title match and I'm not gonna let it happen again. I got one month. Every single drop of sweat, every thought is gonna be about Ugg, how I'm gonna beat him on the new face of Australian wrestling. No one's gonna touch me. Two years, watch this back. I'm gonna be the biggest thing in wrestling and you're gonna watch this clip and you're gonna be like, this is the day it started. And those promos won promo of the year. And not only that, we had people from New Japan admit that some of the promos New Japan did afterwards were inspired by Wahlberg's promos. They were a real, they were a real game changer. Like not to not to use that lame, uh, <laughs> that lame kind of that kind of saying, but that was one of those things where people really looked and paid attention. He did something totally different that hadn't been done before uh, with Ben Anderson, and and just and they just did everything because apparently, like according to Wahlberg, their goal was to sell it out, and they did it. That was definitely a huge day for Peter anyway. And just recently, given the circumstances of coronavirus uh, on Twitch, uh, Ugg and uh, Maddie Wahlberg did a, a watch along of that uh, whole uh, that whole show, and obviously yeah. common with the main event and um i guess i'm kind of saying oh well, you know you you know you've got to deal with mick moretti first before there's any type of rematch but um <laughs> something's still there by the sounds of it yeah i think Wahlberg, like it was it was really good at that period of time because he was the new guy and he was being given his shots but the hard thing in wrestling is isn't to necessarily get to the top it's to stay at the top and part of the Part of the thing is that he was the shiny new toy for a while. He he built his way up. He did everything he could, and he had his big shot. And then he lost. And it's hard It's hard for somebody like Wahlberg, I think, to get to the point where he's kind of at the top and then have to go on the back burner for a little while. He very much can't handle that. So watching his pathetic display <laughs> during Wahlberg versus Ugg on um, – like where he's basically just kind of getting half drunk and then just whining about how he lost and how he has a new shot. If he got a new shot, he'd win the belt straight away. Was like a little bit like, okay, I think I think you need to go outside for a little while. Like I think being inside during this pandemic is uh, is is starting to hurt you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know if he is because I mean the last time we got in the ring, he lost to Madison Eagles, and before that, he lost the Babes lost to the Nations, and then oh sorry, in the empty arena show, him and Cutter Deems lost to Lightspeed Express. So I don't know if there is going to be a him versus Ugg for a little while. I guess if you could beat someone like Mick Moretti, if Mick ever decides to give him a shot, he, he might have another thing, but. I mean, Ugg's going to get past Ricky. <laughs> and Ricky's been on a roll. So, like, it's, uh, yeah, I'm not 100% sure if there is something there. Another thing that you mentioned just earlier was Australians winning against uh, international guys coming over. I mean, how important was that? Yeah, I think it was very important. Um, one, of the, one of the adages you hear a lot of the time, and this is what would happen when, like, um, when like Raven and stuff came down originally, like all AWF stuff, like my first event had Seema on it. Um, like, so it's not the first kind of period of time that we've had internationals come in, but for the most part in the recent times, um, like world series wrestling and stuff would bring down all these guys and maybe, you know, we, they'd mix the Australian guys with the international guys. And that was great. The thing that fans started to pick on up on after a while is that the Australian guys never ever won matches. Uh, it was happening so frequently, but the international guys would never put us over. And I can tell you that the background reasoning for this is that when you have guys who are contractors of WWE 
or have been contracted in the past and are former, you know, held multiple championships in one of the biggest companies in the world. It is not believable for them to lose to, to somebody who is a relative no-name like most of the indie guys still currently are in Australia on an international basis. You know, like the local fans and stuff knows them. But if you ask somebody in America who the Hurricane is, they're going to know. If you ask someone in America who Jack J. Bonzer is, they're probably not going to know. So it, it doesn't make that much sense to have it because, you know, the whole point of wrestling is that we all kind of know it's put on. Except when you get embroiled in the heat of watching a good match or a match with a good build-up, um, the whole point is to suspend the audience's disbelief. If you see an international wrestler with all this fame and glory lose to somebody who's a relative no-name, it it kills the suspension of disbelief. It automatically becomes so unbelievable that it, it throws you out. It doesn't do anything for the local guy, and it just makes the international – it just makes the whole thing look kind of fake. But if the international guy – is kind of obviously better than this than this new this relative no name guy. But then during the match, the the no the Australian guy has a competitive match and really pushes him and nearly beats him a couple of times. And then the guy has to get really desperate and do something to beat him. It kind of it, it brings the guy up, but then the international guy wins, which makes sense. So it actually does more for the local guy. And this is one hundred percent true most of the time. However, <laughs> when you have the same Australian audience watching the same Australian guys lose to internationals on at some points an almost weekly basis, like if not a monthly basis, like they come back every two, three weeks and see another international beat another Australian guy over and over and over again. Like the World Series wrestling shows, the Australian guys never won. Like it just it just didn't happen. When you see that happen over and over again, it, it's like – at a certain point, it just comes across like the Australian guys just aren't good enough to win. Like it, it stops being so unbelievable because these guys, you see them compete with guys in that caliber all the time. Like it's not a one-off anymore. So it, it kind of became unbelievable. But the progress tour was one of the first times that the internationals put us over. Like me and Nick beat Mustache Mountain. Now, the, the thing about that is they later that year became WWE NXT UK tag champs, I think. It didn't hurt their career one iota, <laughs> but it was the first time, like, it made me and Mick really seem a lot better and really seem a lot more important, which I think helped that we later became Peterborough Tag Team Champions, bringing up us as as a tag team. You know, Jimmy Havoc put over um, Ricky South. You know, just, just the audience actually seeing us beat them for once, and I'm eternally thankful for those guys who agreeing to do that because if they said no, I mean, what were we going to do? So it, it, was, it was just really nice of those kinds of guys. And then it also started a, a thing. So the other thing is, you know, if you see the international guys win every time, you know what the result's going to be every time. And if a fan knows ahead of time 100% what the result is going to be, then it it stops the suspension of disbelief. You know, it, it makes the matches a lot less fun when you, when you know for a fact who's going to win, which, again, reflects on why PWA doesn't do championship matches very often. You know, pretty the goal of PWA, and this just to bring it back to Wahlberg versus Ugg, that was Ugg's first title defense since beating Jonah Rock in a cage. It had been probably five months. Sometimes, you know, we see fans be like, oh, do the PWA titles ever get defended? And the answer is yes, maybe three times a year. <laughs> because every single time we do a defense, we want fans to really think that the title could or will change which is a, another big part of why Ugg versus Wahlberg was, was so big, is that people were really convinced that Wahlberg 
was going to win, or at least that it was a really good chance that Wahlberg was going to win. And that's what made the match so compelling because people really didn't know what was going to happen. We go from selling out Max Watts, which is a big achievement, then to the next thing, which is live streaming with Ovo with Once Upon a Time at Max Watts. Yeah, it was a big thing. I mean, after Wahlberg versus Ugg and all the controversy that surrounded the fact that, uh, you know, Ugg didn't drop the title belt on his first title defense right before Wahlberg was going to go on Survivor and possibly go to Farley's Dojo uh, and be out for six months. Uh, <laughs> Just um, it's just one of those funny things. I think one of the things we talked about last time was the uh, the outrage that Wahlberg didn't win the title, um, which again we maintain would have been the dumbest thing we could have done for Wahlberg because if he'd been given that payoff straight away, he, he would have diminished in quality. Like uh, people wouldn't have liked it as much. Like you know, it's it's one of those things where I think fans a lot of the time demand instant gratification on everything, but then are only ever really satisfied when we do long term stories. So like. It was absolutely a wrong call for Wahlberg to have won that night. Not only would it have diminished the title, but it would have um, it would have made him less of a compelling character. Uh, it would, there would have been less we could do with him moving forward. Um, the thing about a babyface um, is that they have to get their ass kicked and they have to lose a lot. So you know you have to see him go through the hard times for for good times like the Coliseum night too to to mean a lot more for him. After the huge success of Wahlberg and Ugg, Huge credit to those guys for pulling off those, that event and that match. Like, again, just another thing about PWA Black Label. Before we get into the live stream, and it might be important that we do this before we get into the live stream because um, because of the amount of people that contribute to the live stream, but, like, I think I would be remiss not to talk about all the people who have helped push PWA to get it to this point, you know. Like, I look at um, I look at PWA like a timeline. Like, our, our from, like, Paddington RSL where Osprey wrestled Robbie Eagles to Coliseum Night 2, to me is like a phase one of, of PWA. And it's like there, there are different like little points that stand out in, in phase one, like selling out Max Watts for the first time with Warburg you know, was a huge one. Live streaming was a huge one. All those, all those kind of little things that come together. But like the amount of people who helped, like I can never ever say enough nice things about Jack Stewart uh, in a million years. Like there, I always look at PWA like a machine. There are certain cogs in the machine that if you remove them, the machine will work slower. But there are just a couple of cogs in the machine that if you remove them, the machine won't work. One of those cogs is Jax Jordan. <laughs> the, the the video promotion stuff he did, he was just tireless. He's obsessed. Like, if he ever gets asked to do anything, like, you ask his girlfriend, he, she's just like, he doesn't just do what you ask him to. He continually tries to find a way to make it better than what you asked and he's and he's totally self-taught. He's never gone to TAFE or uni or anything like that. He's just picked it up off YouTube videos and figuring it out himself. He's one of the most talented guys I've ever met. Even just the music that gets used, he picks all the music. He just hears it and goes, "Yep, that'll be great for that." Like he's just he's uh, truly unbelievable. Um, the other ones at the same time, like we talk about Wahlberg versus Zug. I mentioned like the first time that we saw him. It wasn't that long ago. He hasn't been wrestling that long. Um, the people who trained him, like the PWA training school that brought him and Ricky South and Jessica Troy and that up to speed, like quick enough to be able to be match of the year contender guys. You know, that, that school was run by Robbie Eagles and Madison Eagles, like Madison Eagles before anybody else is like, everybody owes her her thanks. Not only did she train all the women, she trained most of the guys as well. And I'm talking about even like, like Robbie got his training from Madison, you know, like this is this is one of those things where 
her passing down what she knows and what she can do to the next generation has spread off and, and created the current generation that we have there. Another cog that we absolutely could never have worked without in a million years is Madison and then Robbie as well. And then um, I think the next one that we would talk about with the first live stream is Ben Henderson. I can't remember if we talked about him in episode one at all. I think we did. I think we talked about when we transitioned to having him film the shows. But, yeah, having him there, like, the, the conversations that would have between him and the management team over, like, what equipment do we need to live stream? Like, it was such a big thing because someone like me who is, like, technologically has no clue what's going on, to be like, can we just kind of plug something into the cameras we already use and then just start live streaming? And he's just like, no. <laughs> like, that's not how it works at all. Shut up. Like, it was just, uh, but yeah, having him there, like, we absolutely could not have gotten to the point where we could have live streamed if it weren't for Ben Anderson putting in the hours. Like, and I'm talking the relatively unpaid hours. Like, he gets paid. Like, we, we pay everybody at PWA. It's an important thing. Like, and the amount of time and effort that goes into everything, everyone gets paid. It might cripple the company one day, but I mean, the company's for the people. So, yeah, the company might as well pay the people as much as as much as we at least can afford to. The amount of hours he put in is not worth the money, and that's because he's he's so good and he's so passionate about it and he believes in in what we're doing. Um, like the the first live stream was once upon a time. I think it was Nations versus TMDK, which in and of itself was a huge thing for us to do. And then you had um, we actually uh, outsourced that one, so that wasn't our equipment. That was um, what what I what we did was we hired some people for a lot of money, to come in and run this live stream. Then we had Ben Anderson uh, shadow them. And they did a good job, but the problem is that they didn't understand wrestling. And that's the other advantage of having like Ben Anderson or someone like that who's been a wrestling fan for, for years and years and years. Like I think once upon a time when we did the first live stream was when Jude the Dude London uh, jumped off the balcony. A big holy shit moment. It was something that we were – he wanted to do it, and then it was kind of like, yeah, I suppose because – for the live stream, like a, it would be a great moment to get people's attention for something like that. If you watch the footage that we used for the jump, it was either Nick Ray, another guy who deserves a lot of thanks, is another one of our camera guys, Nick Ray, um, who does so much of that. He doesn't so much do the live streaming stuff, but a lot of the footage that gets used in the um, highlight videos is done by him. So he's really just there to take these specific, really high-quality shots of certain things that we can use for more backstage stuff than we do the actual live stream but he's again we owe him a huge debt of thanks but yeah if you actually watch the live stream of the dive off the balcony it's not a good capture of it every every, every footage we've used to show Jew the dude is either from nick ray i think or from like fan footage <laughs> because fans are sitting there with their phones and the fans on their phones I arguably did a better job than the guys capturing the live stream uh, because they just didn't understand how wrestling was supposed to go. But after that, yeah, Ben Anderson took over, discussing what equipment we needed to buy to get the minimum done, um, the sounding levels. Like, it's incredible just how difficult it is to get the – because there are little things you don't think of, right? Like, so when, when you come together like a live stream, here's a big one. We sometimes – or a lot of the time – we'll do promos to advertise our matches. The guy standing in the middle of the ring largely couldn't tell – when the camera was on him or when we were playing something for the live audience, uh, for the at-home audience that the live audience couldn't see. How do you communicate to him to start talking? 
it sounds like a relatively easy problem, but it's not. Because the thing is, you get a you get an earpiece, but to buy a relatively cheap earpiece, you're looking at hundreds of dollars. And then in front of the live, you know, rambunctious Max Sports crowd, he can't hear a single thing that is being said to him over that earpiece. Neither can the commentators um, with the earpieces. The only the only way to get an earpiece that is good enough to be heard, it would literally be like buying all the cameras again just for that one piece of equipment. It is so expensive to get a high-quality earpiece. Just unbelievable stuff like that. So all the little stuff that we've had to figure out, like to get stuff like that happening, it's like, okay, the announcer, like in the original ones, I don't think he was plugged into the live stream. So you're kind of hearing the echo of what he's saying over the general, over like the camera's recording device. But then we had to figure out how to plug it directly into the output to get on the live stream. But then, of course, when you've got the commentators have to go directly in there, and then you have the announcer has to go directly in there, and then the videos have to go directly in there, and all this other stuff. There are only a certain amount of inputs into it into certain boxes that you can do and then you have to control the levels of the sound because one of them is going to be louder than the other but you don't want it to blast one thing and then be quiet another thing of the live stream just sound on its own was just an incredible pain in the ass that none of us me madison robbie we have no chance no chance of figuring this out if ben anderson didn't spend a large period of time figuring it out and explaining it to us and getting the equipment and doing all that stuff so, like, yeah, it was just it was a really difficult, really expensive thing to to pull off. But yeah, I think I think it was I think it was an important step getting something like that. And now that we've gone through that pain period, now we can do it. You know, there's still not a lot of companies that are self sufficient when it comes to their live streams. You talk about the production side and all all that side there. What about just I guess the general adding, uh, you know, going up in the volume, going up in pressure with in regards to talent and making sure you you hit your notes and uh, you you're doing the best you can absolutely do. I mean, it's the difference I guess between sort of stuffing up in front of a, a local crowd, but now that it's been streamed uh, on the internet. Oh, the amount of pressure that goes into a live stream show compared to a just a normal live event show is is incredible. Like just stuff like you can't start late. Like if you start if you start at, like if it's advertised for eight o'clock and you start at eight oh seven, you might have lost half your customers who think that it's just not working. Mm-hmm. Or you know we're living in a period of time where people watching at home are going to do everything in their power to get everything they can for free even though it only costs, you know, six bucks, the amount of people who I guarantee would email saying, it started seven minutes late, I would like my five ninety nine back, please, would be incredible. And that's not stuff that we've heard from our fans. That's stuff that we've heard from Ovo, you know, just saying, like, you can't start late because in our experience doing this for so long, these are all the problems. But most wrestling shows traditionally don't start on time. <laughs> like, you always be like, oh, I'll give an extra 10 minutes for all the punters to find their seats and stuff like that. You know, usually you start 10 minutes late, but we can't. We have to start at 8 o'clock. Tr- trying to figure out something for intermission. Like, you, the live crowd needs an intermission. Otherwise, it's really tiring to sit there and watch, you know, maybe a two-and-a-half, three-hour show with no break. You need an intermission. But then what do you do with the people watching at home? Just put a blank screen up for 15 minutes and say, yeah, just bear with us. It sucks. You know, so that's when we started doing stuff like, well, uh, if you ever get to a PWS show early, you'll see a match happening for 10 or 12 minutes before the crowd really comes in. And the idea of that is that we film that match. And then on the following show, we use that during the intermission, which, of course, leads to this thing of like, you don't want there to be a lot of wrestling before the actual show starts because you don't want the audience to get you know tired out before the show even starts but at the same time like 
having a live intermission of only if we did a six minute match of only six minutes is not long enough for our camera crew to have a break. You know, like uh, Andy Rose needs to smoke a cigarette. You know, <laughs> 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 like you need you need to have some time. Like, nah, I'm just joking. Oh God, I'm talking about people that we love happening that we owe debts to. Uh, Chris Gale and Andy Rose. Holy crap! Like, um, the amount. I mean, they're not on there anymore, but like, um, they introduced us to so many people at Triple M. Like uh, getting the advertising there, like the basic stuff is they kicked and screamed and dragged these Triple M executives down there, um, and they didn't really want to go. But after they watched it, they were like, "We're never missing another event ever again." That was the greatest thing we've seen. Which is what happens with wrestling. Everybody has a preconceived notion of it. When they actually get in there and see it, they're like, "Oh shit, we didn't realize that this is what it was." But it's because those two guys believed so hard and so passionately that they um, they did all that stuff for us. And you know. The thing is, like, and they got so much better as commentators. Like, and the other thing when we talk about the live stream and we talk about them, because they're professional radio personalities like yourself, they have all these advantages, like all this professional knowledge that we wouldn't have if we were just using our normal guys. Like, our normal guys might have known more about the wrestling, but the fact is that having a live stream and just being like, hey, guys, uh, we need you to just waste time for exactly seven minutes now, like, and, and have them just go, okay, and just go straight on the fly, like, just go into this thing. They know exactly how to, like, segue into something. They know how to be cut off and come in and do different things like that. The actual technical professional side of it, they had in spades. And, um, and again, if you've been paying attention, their actual wrestling knowledge and their ability to call wrestling matches has just gotten better and better as they go on because they study it. They work so hard on it because they really believe. So there's another two guys who we really owe a lot to the success of, of PWA, I think. And that just, again, added to the live stream because of the pressure of the live stream. A lot of, um, a lot of events are commentated um, after the event. They just do the recording over the filming, um, which is just a lot easier. But they have to do it live. They have to get it right first time, and that is a very difficult thing to pull off. <laughs> green label. I know this is about black label. What about the green label? Because, I mean, PWA, is uh, it's a good problem to have at the moment. There's a lot of up-and-coming talent. There's a lot of up-and-coming talent. So I think the big thing that happens traditionally in Australian wrestling companies, and we're, we're talking about where are we up to time-wise. We're just after whatever, let them fight. So the first one we did at Crowbar, PWA Green Label, um, which was really cool. And the people at Crowbar are really cool. It's a really awesome bar. My fucking my wife loves it. Like It's just the whole – when I'm like, oh, we're going to do an event at this place called Crowbar. She was like, Crowbar? I love that place. I've seen this band and this band and this band. Um, which is exactly the feeling for, you know, Peter Bay Black Label. It's supposed to be like another music thing. So um, we really like the room there uh, when, we, when we can get in there. But, um, yeah, the, the problem with a lot of Australian wrestling companies, and this is very natural when you think about it, is that when you have start to have some success, there is a roster. And say there is 24 to 26 spots on a roster. You fill those spots, and then you start a training school so that everybody can train, and you accept new students. And then after a while, those students get to the point where they should start to be on shows. So then the shows become crowded. You start seeing a lot more rumbles, a lot more, you know, big tags, a lot more whatever. Um, and this presents two difficulties. One, if you need to pay everybody who wrestles on a show, and you should pay all the wrestlers, then cramming more wrestlers on the card for the sake of it becomes just becomes financially irresponsible. So if you're doing things purely business-wise, you would never put them on. In a, in a paid role. Um, so even if they go on an unpaid role, eventually they're going to want to be paid. But then the same wrestlers who were on the card originally haven't gone anywhere. 
So you end up with too many spots on a card. And what traditionally, like too many wrestlers for spots on a card. And what traditionally would happen is that, and you can see this all the way through, like I use the example of like uh, IWA, AWF split off from IWA because they had a disagreement because the younger guy, for whatever reason, I mean, I don't know this is exactly what's happening, but this is just how I see it. The younger guys are usually kind of like, um, I think we should be champion and we should be in the main event and we should do all that stuff. And then the older guys are like, no, we're holding on to our spots. And they go, okay, fine. Well, we're going to start our own company with blackjack and hookers and do whatever. And they split off. And then they, and then it starts again. And so what would happen is you would solve the problem of too many wrestlers by the companies splitting. That's also what I think led to a lot of, um, a lot of the stuff in early to in the early 2000s, where if you worked for one company, you weren't allowed to work for another company. Which is one of the things that Newcastle Pro really killed off in correlation with PWA, because that doesn't happen anymore. But if you guys go back 10 years or 15 years, if you wrestled in a company in New South Wales, you didn't get to wrestle at any other company. There was all this really nasty kind of rivalries in between that. I think that might have started because a lot of the companies originally were the same company and then split off. But you look at like uh, AWF split off from IWA. I think UWF split off from AWF and then UWA split off from UWF and then UWA became rock and roll wrestling. And like, you know you know what I mean? You see all these places, the same cycle happens over and over again. But because I think... PWA has done such a great job of not only keeping its people happy and motivated, but also continually doing newer and better things. Like people don't want to leave PWA. It's not that easy to split off and start your own thing because then you're not going to have your own Jack Stewart. You know, you're not going to have your own bandits and you're not going to be able to live stream straight away to the same quality. You're not going to have a Max Watts, you know, besides the fact that, you know, most of the roster is just a very tight knit, family <laughs> we do, nobody wants to hate each other nobody has a big resentful problem that's going to cause some big thing but the problem is that the training schools are so big and so successful that we have way too many wrestlers for spots on a card like just way too many like if you ever go to uh, if you ever get there early enough to see pwa do ring crew and if you're a fan don't get there early enough to see pwa do ring crew it's just weird but yeah um if you ever for some reason do happen to catch a glimpse of it if I say the show starts at three, if I uh, pardon me, say we have to arrive at the at the venue for ring crew at three. If I get there at ten past three, I walk in and the ring is already set up because you have roughly forty or fifty guys who got there early, harass the people with the venue to let them in earlier than they're supposed to get in, and then like sprinted getting the ring up as quickly as possible. So it takes maybe 25 minutes to get the ring. So by the time I'm there at 10 past three, 10 minutes after it's supposed to have started, ring crew has been done for so long that half the roster has left to go get food. Like it's just, we have so many people there, but also they're all working really hard. Like this isn't a roster of people who are resting on their laurels. Every single person who has a spot trains multiple times a week, is in the gym, is getting new gear, is killing themselves to do everything possible to get better at all periods of time. It's really competitive as well. But at the same time, how does David Streamer or Nathan Pigeon compete with Robbie Eagles and Mick Moretti without first having experience? They can't. So how do you, as a green dingo, 
like as, as a purely rest, like new wrestler having their first time debut on a black label show, it's nearly impossible. It's not totally impossible depending on what you're doing. Like we can talk about the prefects, but it's, it's very, very difficult and it's almost unreasonable. So the concept of green label was that at black label, the best wrestlers get slotted in first. And then we fill in the extra spots with extra people, giving them an opportunity at whatever level. But the green label shows the idea were that, Basically, the guys who are at the level where in any other age or time, they'd already be the main event. <laughs> Our mid-carders could easily be main eventers. Like, you could lose the top 10 wrestlers in PWA, and you'd barely lose a step. This, the next guys would just slot in, and then you guys would be like, holy crap, we didn't realize how good these guys were. And it's like, well, we did. It's just that they're still just that little step below the guys who are currently the top guys. So we give those guys the big opportunity to be the main eventers. You know, the, the, the guys lower on the card get booked first. And then if there are any spots remaining, then the more experienced wrestlers get a spot. Uh, and that was the idea of Green Label. And then the, um, the rookie shows, the academy shows, of course, are that one step below that. That's the people having their first ever matches get booked first. And then everybody else gets slotted in after. Or, you know, if they're having their first ever match, you're probably going to be better off putting someone having their first match with someone who's very experienced to carry them through it a little bit, as opposed to putting two guys who've never had a match before against each other, because that's not going to go as well. <laughs> so, but th- that, those are the mindsets of kind of like the three levels of black label uh, of PWA. But that's just because, you know, it was born out of necessity because we have so many good people helping and everybody working so hard all the time. And we don't want people to split off. We don't want to lose them, you know. So we're just trying to – we have to create more shows and more opportunities uh, for people, which is good too because, I mean, a lot of the time, um, even if, you know, say black labels are the best, if you did 50 black labels a year, it's probably less interesting than seeing, like, it's a, like a variation on it, you know, like different people doing different things and trying different stuff. It just makes it makes the, the company and the footage more interesting, I think, even if you can't get to all the live events. It would be remiss of me not to uh, mention as well the quality of the female competitors at PWA. I mean, we're sort of timeline-wise, all eyes on Troy. That's uh, Shazza McKenzie defending the uh, PWA women's title against Jessica Troy, main eventing uh, an event. Was it the first female main event for PWA? Oh, surely not. I doubt it. Like, that's what I mean. Madison's been running the company since before I've been helping. Like, I've only been helping since maybe, you know, Rudy Hill, like we discussed in the first show. No, okay, for one, one that sticks out of my mind was uh, Dakota Kai versus um, Kelly Skater. They did a 30-minute Iron Woman match for the PWA title in, like, 2013 or 2014 or something. So it's certainly not the first female main event. It might have been the first all-female main event we've had in Black Label from memory, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that Shaz was champion and she was fucking off overseas all the time. <laughs> and any time that we would try to like put her in something, because again, we we try not to defend the the titles unless there's a significant lead up. You know, we don't just try to throw that stuff away. You know, it's to try and get her there for enough events in a row to do something that was a build up um, that would make it worthwhile. Um, could sometimes be difficult because, you know, she works for AEW sometimes. She shows up on NXT. She does a lot of shimmer stuff. She, she's, she's like, she goes overseas a lot. It, it, it can make it difficult sometimes. But, yeah, that was that was definitely a big one having them there. And like we said at the pre-show meeting, you know, they, they weren't the main event because it was some publicity stunt. You know, PWA 
you know, I guess I guess I'll talk about like we started with Madison. Madison's been pushing for women's wrestlers to be taken seriously her entire twenty year career. That's she always wanted to be a wrestler. I think she never wanted to be uh, a diva. And what she hates more than anything, I think, with her experience in Australian wrestling women in particular. And again, God, we should have just we should have Madison on here to actually talk about this instead of me trying to paraphrase what I think. But I guess I'm just going to power through it in my white maleness. <laughs> We're gonna. Um, I think that what she doesn't like is seeing situations where you know. Women are a draw on their own, and they are. Advertising a girls' match on the card is and has always been a, a draw card, but you would never advertise two girls' matches on a card because why would you? <laughs> I, I'm just talking from a perspective of a lot of promoters, not from my own perspective, because the women weren't put on there because they were good wrestlers. They were put on there because they were women. And I think that's what Madison really hated because that led to a lot of situations like women who basically had zero training because they were so rare. And women still are very rare. There's just not that many of them. But um, because they were so rare, the second one would show up to a training center, she'd be on the show two weeks later because they were a valuable part just to advertise that there was going to be a girl there. Um, but that led to them being improperly trained. So it reinforced the idea that, that women actually couldn't wrestle because the women that were being presented often couldn't wrestle because they were given such special treatment because they were like, oh, you're a girl, get on the card, is whatever. Oh, your match was great. It doesn't matter that it actually sucked. Like, and because of that, they it just didn't lead it doesn't it's not the kind of thing that leads to you know high quality wrestling and madison hated that and the reason why i put all that out there is because if you ever see madison train the girls she is so much harder on the women at pwa than she is on the guys i think and because of that they get better she doesn't they no girl gets put on a card because they're a girl Every every female who's on our card is there because they are a good enough wrestler to be there, forgetting gender. And that is why PWA went into gender. That's and because the whole argument's been like, okay, we're doing a gender wrestling, but we have a women's title. And the whole thing about having a women's title is that it implies a totally separate female division. Which means that the girls have to only wrestle each other. And and that's kind of like that's not the equality that we're that we're looking for because again imagine imagine like you you only get to wrestle the same two or three people over and over again uh, not only is it boring and disheartening you don't get that much better because you know how much how much better would a wrestler be having experienced wrestled Lightspeed express you know like wrestling Robbie Eagles wrestling all these great guys who you can learn from. Um, and a lot of guys will improve a lot quicker because of those opportunities. But if the women were never afforded those opportunities, then they wouldn't have the chance to get better the same way. Um, so the best way was to was to make it in agenda. But but at the same time, the girls because it's in agenda now, there is no guaranteed one girls match. But at the same time, we will have more than one girls match. They'll be littered all the way through their card, depending on their depending on their skill level. They have to get thrown in the deep end, but because they're thrown in the deep end, they're forced to swim, and that's how you end up with Jessica Troy. Started the Newcastle Pro. Um, she moved to Sydney, so she changed the PWA school. Uh, she trains like me, me and Hoff, you know, started the training off, and again, we didn't treat her any different to any of the other boys, um, and she was almost always better than them anyway, so it wasn't that hard. 
and then she went down to PWA and, and she got the same thing with all the, with Madison and all that. And then she's earned her way to the point where she's one of, you know, she's probably the first black label female main event. And she got there not because it was a marketing stunt that we we're putting women forward, but because the match deserved to be the top match, um, which I think it, it's a much more difficult route. But once you get there, it's a lot better to get there that way than it is to just, you know, shove them on there because they happen to be female. And I, I guess you could say a bit of a coronation uh, with the All Eyes on Troy event. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was a coming out party. A lot, a lot of the time, the reason why we'll name an event or theme an event after a wrestler, like you don't see, you know, Bonds' boot camp. You don't, you know, you don't see Mitt Moretti's funhouse. You only see rest, like events being named after a relatively up-and-coming wrestler to help promote them, to help turn them into stars, you know. So, like, it, it, it's a part of getting a push is to have an event named after them. And so when you have everything focused on that one person, oftentimes after you dedicate that one event to them, they, they really feel like they are something moving forward. Like, you can't just do it to anybody. It has to be the right person. Yeah, I mean, and, and, since, and since you've had that event, she's been, you know, she's forced her way into becoming a main eventer basically. Um, and a lot had to do with that title win at that big show on top of all the other experiences she's had. I mean, the other thing we talked about the star, she wrestled Tony storm um, in front of 1100 people at the star for the progress women's championship. She's, she's been given a lot of opportunities along the way too. Yeah. Relatively young has forced her way uh, into, into being a main event at PWA, which is very difficult to do, especially with, you know, probably the impediment of having to do most of it in a gender wrestling. Break their backs and make them humble. Uh, that worked out all right for uh, Jack Bonza. <laughs> we got to the Rumble. Man, yeah, this whole time was a very interesting period of time for everybody, including me. Uh, what, what had happened is just before this, we had Mike Quackenbush there for one of his training weeks. Um, we'll, we'll get Quack down from Chikara. Uh, Mike Quackenbush is the owner and um, owner of Chikara and runs the training school. We've had um, an ongoing relationship with him for a long time because Madison's known him for years. And then I went over with Madison and, and trained with the, Shikara, with the Shikara school, which I still maintain is the best pro wrestling training school I have ever been to. And so because of a lot of the relationship and stuff we had with that, we got him to come over and actually do a training week. And it was one of the most beneficial experiences we ever had. Uh, when we got him over a second time, um, I'd, I'd had my neck hurt. Like it'd been hurting for a long time. It always had, but we were running through a, a different training jaw from normal. And one of the things was like um, we would do like a pop-up runner where like someone would pop up into a powerbomb position and then get thrown to me and then do the hurricane runner just as a practice drill. But when Jess got thrown up, she landed on the top of my head and, and compressed my head down into my neck, which compressed multiple discs <laughs> in, in, my, in my upper vertebrae. And then um, I wrestled through them because we had three matches that weekend, including one with Mike Quackenbush, and it kept getting worse and worse and worse until by the time Sunday night came and Monday morning came, I was in unbearable pain all the time. Um, and then I went to the doctors and they told me that, that I could never wrestle again. They also didn't give me anything for the pain. So I went to a physio and the physio called the doctor and pretty much said, you need to give him something for pain. Are you in, are you fucking crazy? So I went back there and it was a long time rehabbing and stuff. And I got to the point where I could wrestle again, but <laughs> you know, we're leading into the PWA rumble. And I'm just like, okay. Like we had to, we had not only did we have the rumble, we had the defense of the tag team titles against, um, against the velocities for the third time in this big 
match that we've been building up for over a year, like this big rematch. Like the whole thing, if you pay attention, was that every time the Velocities faced the Nations, they lost because there were two of them and there were at least three of us. So what we did was we had this long angle where we had Matt Diamond join them and then that was cool. There were three of them, but there's four or five of us. So then we had this thing where they asked Matt Rogers to help and Matt Rogers told them to fuck off until eventually um, he was wrestling Hoffman and the nations kept fucking Rogers over um, in favor of Hoffman. So he eventually decided to come out and, and join the velocities and create speed force at an inopportune time for us to, to lose the tag belts. But of course I'm hurt. <laughs> so I've got to get through this match and then we've got this thing, and I'm being told by doctors that I can that I should never wrestle again. But of course, we've been building the Coliseum already for three or four months. Like all this other stuff's going on, and I'm just like, if I'm going out, I'm going out with a bang. And the other thing is, just to give you the backstage scoop on a lot of it, uh, the Rumble winner. There was a plan for the Rumble winner, and it changed multiple times. And it didn't. It didn't get. We didn't know who was going to win the Rumble until the day of because of all the backstage stuff that changed around. Like um, Shazza McKenzie all of a sudden getting an opportunity to wrestle for AEW, she was out of contention. We were originally going to have uh, Robbie Eagles in the Coliseum tournament, but then he had to be in Best of Super Juniors or, or Junior Tag League, I think. So he was out of contention of the Coliseum tournament, which meant we had to put a different entrant in the Coliseum tournament, which meant that was another Rumble winner. So like, there was all those little things. And then the vision eventually came down to the fact of like, What's missing from the Coliseum card? There's no horse battle. There's a bunch of high flyers, but there's no horse battle. And so then the best option for horse battle who was available um, was was me. <laughs> but of course I'm hurt. And it's just this whole it's just this whole thing where I just went fuck it. If this is this is the last time I wrestle, I'll put up with whatever the fuck I have to. But I'm gonna get through it and I'm gonna do this. Um, and then in the meantime, I went and saw a better doctor. And the doctor said like, listen. This is going to heal, and it's going to get to the point where you were before. But the point you were before you did this injury was not great. So it's really going to be up to you whether you want to continue wrestling or not. But also, you may become prone to this injury. So you may get back to the point where you can do stuff, but then you know every second thing you do might set it off just as badly as it went off the first time. And if that happens, then there's no way you can keep wrestling. But the good news is we're what, – what, what's the date? We're about six months, eight months later, and I can sleep on my side again. Everything seems to be working out okay. Um, I've been a lot more careful with the stuff that I've been doing, and I'm all right. Um, so now that we've gotten through that, we can get back to the actual uh, Rumble event. <laughs> the reason why I think the Rumble was so interesting, especially around New South Wales, and the funny thing is that like, um, I think the first real Rumble like that anybody tried to pull off in Australia in recent memory – I think it was the MCW Ballroom Brawl, which is a big event they do every year around June. And the Nui Pro, we decided to do a rumble, kind of unaware that that's something they'd done. But if you actually go back and look at it, they did theirs the year before Newcastle Pro had their first one. But of course, like it's such a fun event to do. MCW have done it every year. It's often their biggest event. They have a fucking great old time up there. Jax is in it a lot too, which is always fun. And the Nui Pro one has been the highest drawing thing for Nui Pro every year since we've done it. They're always just they're always just big amazing matches when you do them properly. Because a lot of wrestlers hate rumbles because the idea is that like you run out there. You do a couple of clotheslines when you first enter, and then you just pretend to try and throw somebody out for a little while. It's very, very boring. 
when stuff doesn't happen and when stuff doesn't get planned. So we decided to do this rumble where we made it a proper rumble. And there's not a lot of footage of the old Nui Pro ones, but they're all glorious. Like there are all these fun spots with different entrances and different things like that constantly happening. They're always amazing. So naturally, PWA, we decided to rip off the idea. Everybody decided to rip off the idea and everybody decided to rip off the idea at the same time. So you get Newcastle Pro <laughs> doing this rumble in August, the same way they've done it every year for five or six years. And then all of a sudden you get Wrestling Go doing a rumble, FWA doing a rumble, PWA doing a rumble, Louis Pro doing their rumble. And I think there was another one. I can't remember the other company. But like there was there was just like there was like five rumbles in August. <laughs> it was just this uh, it was just this incredible period of time. So of course when PWA is doing theirs last. But I, th- well, I, I think we might have been the only one that was live streamed. The amount of time and effort that went into crafting this rumble um, was incredible. Like like the conversations, the talks back and forth about everything were happening. But the result ended up being what I consider to be a love letter to the PWA roster. Like every character got featured. Everyone did something cool. There were lots of like all these fun character moments everything built on everything like it was it was a great finish like it put over like lots of different people in different situations we had madison eagles return we had james adultman's like <laughs> introduction like and i'm talking like james adultman the idea was like we were like we were either like it, this is going to be the worst thing that's ever going to happen or it's going to be the greatest thing that's ever going to happen um and it was the greatest thing that's ever happened i think it was the front page of reddit um, I think we had like uh, 60,000 views on this page, like on the front page of where it just changed to Dalton. Like it just, it was, it just took off. Like it was ridiculous how, how good that was. And again, that goes back to how good the prefects have been in their debuts. Like, like people got to understand the prefects have only maybe been wrestling for two years now. Like their, their debut was doing the prefects gimmick for PWA just about like they, they didn't really do anything before that. So they managed to build into what they are from scratch which is, it's very rare to get that popular that quickly and that good that early, you know what I mean, on such a big stage. So that's a testament to them and all the people who have been helping them. But yeah, that, that Rumble was, I, I recommend going back and watching it. Like it was, it was such a fun, it was such a fun, interesting thing. It just keeps changing everything that's happening. Like there's, there's never a dull moment uh, in that whole Rumble, which yeah, then I ended up winning, which of course leads to what's hopefully a tradition at the at, at PWA is that the Rumble winner gets a heavyweight championship match on night two of the tournament, but then, of course, the tournament's happening at the same time, so it's just another big, you know, it's just another jewel on the crown of this Coliseum. You uh, mentioned it there, the main event. Uh, I mean, we've almost been uh, going for about an hour and a half here, and this is all culminating to Coliseum 2, the two-night event. I mean, uh, where do we start on this one? I mean, so much... Just skin on, oh, skin on the bone or meat on the bone just with this event by itself. I mean, yeah. we had the likes of Orange Cassidy, Travis Banks. I mean, the videos, the lead up. I mean, where do we start here, Bonza? So I think I think we start with Orange Cassidy. The, the interesting thing about that is that he was originally a Shikara wrestler. So myself and Mick Moretti and Madison Eagles have known Orange Cassidy for between seven years and a decade. Like, we've known him for a long time. And we saw him at the King of Trios tournament that we did the other year. And he said he just expressed interest in coming to Australia. And so if you'll remember the the clip that went viral of him running the ropes with his hands in his pockets and then doing a suicide dive with his hands in his pockets, I think that was the first 
major thing on Orange Cassidy that blew up. He had already been booked for the Coliseum tournament before that happened. We actually booked him to be part of the tournament before he became famous. You know what I mean? Like he was known, but before he got really popular, he was already booked. And he was supposed to be here for weeks. Like he was going to, you know, run training courses, maybe work for other companies around Australia and do all that other stuff. It was supposed to be for a while. And then we, um, he gets really famous and we decided to announce him as the first Coliseum entry, which was awesome because it blew up in just the right way in just the right time. But we did that in like April because the decision was made to try and do, you know, a, a two-day weekend, which, which had happened in other companies. But like I, I don't think it had been made this big destination tournament weekend the same way. And the feeling was that if we're going to do a two-day weekend that we want people to travel from. And in the end, people came from, uh, like, from England. People came from Germany. Like, there was some people who fucking traveled to see this show. And, like, one of them was, like, the, the guy who does Oz Wrestling gifts. So that's another guy who's, you know, helped us out in a non-wrestling capacity in a great way. So shout out to that guy as well. Um, but he made the trip to come down and see it. It was just like all those all those things, but we had to start early and we wanted to start big. And so that's that's how we started. But it was just a fluke that he got so popular <laughs> just before we announced him, like because we'd already had him locked in. And so, but then what happened was that he signed with AEW. And all of a sudden it's like, shit, can he still make it? And so like, I've just emailed him and I've just been like, Hey man, just so you know, you are not pulling out of this time. <laughs> and, he, and he's gone like, um, yeah man, I already told him about it. I can make the tournament. I can't come down for like two or three weeks though. Um, he can only he could only actually make the tournament. Like he couldn't come for an extended period of time because of his commitments, but he could still make the date. So that was still you know. That was still good, so we managed to get him. And yeah, and then yeah, I think part of the other thing is it's just a mystery. Like I, I think a big part of what made Coliseum so much fun were the um, were the the announcement videos. Like um, like I'll give you the hot tip: people don't know who's going to be in the Coliseum tournament unless you are maybe the top three or four management staff in PWA. None of the roster knows. Like we have we have recordings of like the roster members watching their own release videos for the first time because they didn't know it was going to be them. There, there's no clue who's going to be. Because like, one of the things we thought about was making it a 16-man tournament. But if we're going to make it a 16-man tournament, I think you, you'd need at least three days, which was a bit ambitious. But we thought maybe we could do stuff like, okay, um, David Storm was in it last year. We could have done a match between David Storm and somebody else in EPW to help promote the Coliseum tournament and and have it be a 16-man tournament. The first round happens not on that weekend. Or we could have flown David Storm in earlier and he could have won his spot and done something like that. But I think such a big part of the fun is discovering who the entrance is going to be. You know, like those videos, of we, we legit don't know who it's going to be every single time. And then there's that little, like, you've been noticed and just that, that pause period of who it's going to be that coming in. It really just helped create the hype and it just it helped create make the guys feel special and then yeah we started with orange cassidy we started off with a huge bang and then in that period of time you know um travis banks expressed that he was interested in coming down it was like what a way to to bookend the tournament entrance was to have the first one be orange cassidy the AEW guy and have the last one be travis banks the guy who signed at wwe <laughs> 
like it was it was really um all everything just kind of fell into place for us in that thing plus again the hype from you know the sword you know like all the stuff that could happen with because the first tournament was so well received um making it feel like such a big deal from such an extended period out plus having two great um international guys plus having another two great interstate guys um was all very exciting and those guys fucking smashed it out of the park too like just the experience and skill of David Storm and, and, and Chris Basso. It was just the whole weekend was just so special. And then the other thing of it that I was very proud of uh, was um, enter the Coliseum. We did the we did the fan meet and greet in the morning of the Saturday. We had live dingo puppies there. <laughs> it was um, we actually had like an adoption thing come in because of uh, Steph Delander works a lot with animals. She was able to hook up this this charity um, to come in, and then you could actually adopt a you could actually adopt a dingo puppy, and so you could play with the dingo puppies. People were playing, you know, Mario Kart over the big entrance screen. Like Kingsley had a tea corner. Like you could come in and buy um, exclusive merchandise and stuff like that. Like it was just it was just such a fun weekend. And I don't know I don't know how we're going to top it. Is that going to be a regular two-night event now? That's sort of good, the, the standard? That's the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. And, again, like, going back to, um, going back to like, how the, you know, how the pandemic affects us, you know, like, it's going to be a difficult thing because, I mean, like, how's it going to affect international travel? We, we simply – we may not be able to have international wrestlers on a PWA or any Australian card for over a year. Like, you, you don't know. You don't know. It's interesting you mentioned that, but isn't that a, I mean, obviously when PWA can start doing events again, isn't that just a great opportunity to be like, all right, we're going to just invest in our, in our guys more so? Well, the thing about PWA is that we do nothing but invest in our own guys. Like that's the whole thing from, from, from start to finish. The international guys are only ever there to help our local guys somehow. The point is never to put the focus on them. And that's why we put so much emphasis on the training school. That's why we'll spend money to bring guys out to spend weeks with us training. Like, that's not profitable for us. We do that to try and help our roster get better because PWA's core values is that it's based around our local guys. We want to make our local guys the stars. We don't want to have to fly in interstaters or internationals every show. We want our guys to be the best guys and – and we want our guys to be the stars of our shows. You'll never see a PWA event that's really littered with people from from outside. Not because we don't like them. There are so many great wrestlers from around Australia, but like that's not that's not the point. Like the point is that it's it's for our guys. Like I couldn't I couldn't imagine a situation where like we have our training school and there are like fifty wrestlers there all raring to go and they're very, very good wrestlers and then just giving half the spots away to people in a state like it's just it's not the point it's not the point of pwa so it's almost like yeah you know like the old adage that i really like to to look at is um you know in all crises there is opportunity this crisis is happening whether we like it or not but what can we do to make the best of it that we can make out of it and something like that yeah like a like a, a coliseum tournament where it's only local guys like we get back to roots like we can probably have some interstaters by then hopefully <laughs> and you know we can we can do that kind of thing like to, to really get it to be an australian thing as well but yeah just having a tournament where it's just our guys really showing what they can do is something special on its own
to put a bow on Coliseum 2, uh, obviously you taking on Caveman Ugg for the PWA title in a uh, losing effort and Matty Wahlberg winning Coliseum. Yeah, I think like the actual event itself, like we've talked a lot around around the event, but the actual event itself were two of just the best wrestling shows I think anyone's ever put on. Like from start to finish, it was just everyone stuck to their part, everyone did their thing. It was so varied. Like card psychology is this whole thing on its own that I could talk about for hours and hours and hours. Each match being different in its own way from a match that preceded it. Like we talked about me and Ugg wrestling because we needed a hoss battle, and that's what we did. We did a hoss battle, and it's still, again, it was another one of those match of the year contenders. But if you actually go back and watch what we did, we didn't do that much. (laughs) It was just that we managed to build it up uh, to be so important. And, and we stuck to our role on the card because there were like there were matches that were about high flyers or matches that were tags, you know. There was matches with comedy. There was like that um, that prefect uh, gauntlet, the the tag gauntlet we did where the prefects downed everybody with the schoolboy. It was glorious. Like um, it was just this. It was just this. It was just magical weekend. Like we got to the end of it and it was just like I actually can't believe we pulled that weekend off so well with nothing really going wrong. Like, there's Travis Banks being there, for example. Like, And Travis Banks is amazing. Like, talk about a guy, like, who in his position, it, he didn't need to help us out and do all the stuff that he did. But, like, he was tweeting about the event. He was taking photos. He was putting stuff out there. He was really excited to be there. He did so much to help that event and, and make that event kind of feel special. But that, with that being said, at any given point in time, if WWE had turned around and said to him, no, nah, we need you that weekend, you can't go, he would have been out. And there would have been nothing we could we could do about it. Uh, same with Orange Cassidy. Anything could have happened, like um, with him not being able to to make it. And those were things; those were risks that we just had to take. Um, but none of them none of them fell through. Like it was just it was, it was an amazing weekend where everybody did well. It got a lot of attention. It was one of the most viewed. I think it's the most viewed. Like we had like more than a thousand buys on it, on it live. Like it was, it's really incredible just how many people actually tuned in live to watch that whole weekend on top of selling out both nights. Like it was just, it was such a big and special weekend. And it's just one of those things that's going to sit in my memory for the rest of, <laughs> for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? When you look back at stuff that you've achieved during your life, that was, that was one thing that I managed to compete on that weekend. It was such a big, um, it was such a big deal. It's just, yeah, I just, I can't, we're so excited to do it again this year too. I don't know what's going to happen, but <laughs> hopefully we can get back to business and it's something we can do. Like you said, uh, this is the part where I'd be like, ah, and looking forward, looking at the future with PWA, we've got XYZ. We had the West Tigers uh, sponsorship. We had uh, these events coming up and yeah. Uh, no, we, I mean, we had a lot of stuff lined up, man. Like, it was one of those <laughs> things where, and the thing I think about this whole thing, like, not to comment on it too much because we don't want to get too much into it, but like, the amount of personal opportunities that fell through because of the exact timing of this pandemic was really incredible. And I think it's because we're mostly in our late 20s and early 30s, and that's just traditionally in your life when those opportunities probably hit. But it was really heartbreaking, you know. Um, like it's one of those things, but but we had to do it, you know. Like I mean, like it, it almost became a trope that you know people's health and safety is more important than any of this stuff, and it absolutely is, and that's why we made the decisions to do it. But that doesn't make it, you know, not heartbreaking. That like you know, Shazza couldn't do her overseas trip. She had a ton of stuff lined up, but she couldn't do mm. it. Um, and then not only that, like she got over there physically and had to come back, and then had to yeah. isolate herself for two weeks. And she did it because it was the right thing to do. And again health and safety of people is is more important like you know 
Um, we could keep running empty event shows if we wanted to, and I'm not trying to frown on anybody who's still doing that anywhere around the world. Like you can take your own precautions, you can do your own things as long as it's as long as it's legal. But in my head, it's just like imagine if one wrestler got sick, mm. and then somehow spread that to multiple wrestlers in that group, and then because of that, somebody died. Like I, I couldn't. I, I just I, I couldn't you know it's not something you could it's not something you could you could come back from I don't think like from a from a personal perspective so we're waiting but yeah the amount of stuff that's supposed to happen we're gonna have the tiger sponsorship that was gonna be such a big boon for us like there was um there was all this other stuff we had lined up that we can't even we can't even go into like it was supposed to be Robbie Eagles versus Jessica Troy like for one thing like you know and talk about Robbie's career like he's just in New Japan you know talk about yeah. like Demi Bennett I felt so bad for the Australian wrestlers um, who were supposed to be featured on WrestleMania, like Demi Bennett. Like, um, I don't have any internet at my new house. I just moved. So I haven't actually watched WrestleMania yet. But can you imagine being like Rhea Ripley and you have that match against Charlotte Flair? And then all of a sudden, instead of being well, instead of being in the, in the stadium in front of 80,000 people, it's an empty arena match. And the responses from that match were like that was one of the most memorable matches from the whole card. Like they did such an amazing job. But I mean, fuck! Imagine if it had been in front of seventy, eighty thousand people. I don't. I don't know if I can say he's white hot or red hot. I mean, Ricky South. It was his. It's been his moment for the past few months here, and he was going to get the shot at UG, and obviously he was going to get the uh, shot at UG. You know, like that was that was a big thing. Like it was going to be Ricky. It was going to be another Wahlberg versus UG. Like. <laughs> Uh, it was just it was another big thing for another relatively new guy to get this opportunity to do something and it just gets after all the you guys may never appreciate how much work a lot of these wrestlers put into being wrestlers for it to get the rug get pulled out for you it's so mm. from you it's so heartbreaking with all the stuff that was happening and now I don't know what to do with myself on the weekend <laughs> <laughs> well, well I guess not to wallow in it too much I guess. PWA is still very active uh, online, especially the likes of Twitch. Yeah. Uh, every Friday night, we're looking at new matches. Saturday nights, we're doing a movie watch along. I mean, yeah. that's exciting. So stuff. I'll, I'll run you through it. I'll run you through it. All right. So we're trying to release podcasts um, on Monday or Tuesday, Tuesday ish. So far, it's you and me, you know, holding down the fort as much as humanly <laughs> possible. But we'll try and get other people to do that as well. So we want to release some podcasts where we talk about some stuff earlier in the week. I think uh, if you look at. Um, like Mick Moretti and Andy Rose and Ricky South on Wednesdays are going to start um, doing a more regular stream of them doing Warzone, mm. um, like a Call of Duty Warzone. But if, if you tune in, you can chat to them, you can ask them questions, you can watch them play you know, video games and stuff like that, which is, um, which is always cool to have that interaction. Every Friday at 7 o'clock, we're going to pick um, two wrestlers and an event, and they're going to rewatch the event, and they're going to comment over that. We started um, the other week with Warburg and Ugg, this week's going to be um, Jessica Troy and Shaz McKenzie, their big match. But in the future, like, um, I mean, by the time this has come out, that will have been last week. But, like, who knows what we're going to do in the future. And it could be anything. Like, and that's what, like, so far we haven't had, like, a lot of people voting. But, I mean, guys, you can ask for anything. Like, we've got old 2009 uh, Liverpool Masonic Center shows. Like, we've got uh, Candom shows. We've got old PWWA events where the whole event was just PWWA. We've got all the black label stuff. We've got the green label stuff. We've got anything else you can think of that we can do. We have access to all of that. Uh, so 
if you, and then you can also you know ask questions and get the comments on that on, on the Friday night. So that's going to be a regular thing from now on. Uh, last week was awesome. I think this week will be really cool too. And then um and then on Saturdays um yeah we're going to do Peter Bear movie watch alongs. We have to vote on which movie we we watch. <laughs> So, like, again, this will have been passed, but everybody's voting for Cat in the Hat over Happy Gilmore and Life of Brian, and they couldn't be madder about it. Um, and then and then on Sundays, we usually play um, – we usually do Smash Sundays where we all get together and we play Smash Brothers with each other, and you can get on there and play that too. But we'll play Mario Kart and stuff like that. The tough thing about doing Mario Kart is you only get the perspective of one of the wrestlers. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's stuff like that too. So there'll be plenty of PWA interaction going on. It's just, and if you've got any other suggestions, you know, send them forward. You know, we're we're all we're all used to dedicating a ridiculous amount of our spare time to wrestling, and now we can't do that. So, like, we any anything you guys can think of or want or want to talk about or wrestling wise, we can we can we can probably get on that. You know? <laughs> That's the current plan, anyway. And one thing we are looking for here is uh, potentially questions to ask Jack Bonza or ideas that you would like to hear him talk about. Yeah, um, go for it. I like to talk. Like, uh, whatever questions you got, you know. Like, um, I, I released an Instagram thing during the week. I had some people who wanted to hear about um, what training was like for pro wrestlers and the talk through the school and stuff, which might not be bad. Like, something about, excuse me, uh, up-and-coming wrestlers. But it could be anything. I mean, do you want to hear about how, you know, the, the current pandemic has affected pro wrestling mm. in Australia? Uh, do you want to hear about what, what do I think about the overuse of the Canadian Destroyer and Super Kicks? You know, like, uh, like, do you want to hear about a, a specific event that we can we can look through, like a specific topic, like anything? We're we're open to this, guys. Like, we can start releasing them every week or every two weeks or something like that. Like, there's 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 plenty to there's plenty to chat about. And the best way to do that is to hit Jack Bonzer up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Jack Bonzer. I'm at Joel Brown underscore JB. Looking for any feedback or if you have a suggestion that you would like us to talk about, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on all the socials. And I guess, you know, we are on uh, Google Podcasts now. We're on iTunes uh, Podcasts. We're on Spotify. Check all them out. Rate, review, subscribe. Make us feel good, uh, especially this time when everyone's got a little bit, a bit of extra time on their hands, Bonds, and they can plug in their headphones or whatever and listen to a podcast. Uh, help us out, and uh, we're going to have some good times. Yeah, definitely, man. I look forward to it. And uh, that wraps things up. So that was uh, PWA, the incarnation of PWA Part 2. We have, we've actually, funny enough, ran longer than we did with Part 1. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can cut out parts of it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that will give us a wrap. So uh, until next time. Answers coming for us all.